This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours doing a... Uh, Great work with the easiest quiz and failing, unfortunately, this morning with the contestant to give away lots of money. But the jackpot, as we call it, is creeping up. And Brian is hitting the headlines himself. But let's just say he's always the top judge around here at Casey Laura Terrors when it comes to judging our dance moves. Anyway, it's a rather dull and damp Saturday morning, but we've got lots to hopefully keep you interested and engaged between now and 10 o'clock. We'll be talking to marketeer Simon O'Dwyer about 21 years of his Kilkenny-based consultancy 360 Marketing. Leslie Codd, business owner, entrepreneur and multi-award winning businessman will tell us about how he's grown the business he started when he was 17 to now employ 260 people and also about how he's moved from winning the Carlow Business of the Year Award in 2019 to being a judge in this year's awards and I'll be talking to Emer McCarthy, Head of E-Commerce and Strategy at Kilkenny Design about the transition to online and the launch of Kilkenny Design's virtual reality store but first, joining me on the line to chat about some of the business stories of the past week is Eamon Quinn, business editor of the Irish Examiner. Good morning, Eamon. Good morning, John. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, um, it's been a big week. For years, we've heard about Ireland's corporate tax rate and how over our dead bodies it was going to be allowed to change and all that. The pressure grew uh, and it's changing. As you say, it's been a big revolution the way um, multinationals will be taxed around the world. And it comes after, as you were saying, long years of Ireland fighting a rearguard action against the EU Commission in particular. Um, now, what's happened last week is that Ireland's conceded uh, and that only 12.5%, which has been the anchor of prosperity here over more than 25 years, the um, there'll now be two rates. There'll be the uh, a new fifteen percent rate, um, for which will be levied on the corporate profits of companies which will have uh, which have a turnover of more than seven hundred fifty million, and that will include the uh, U.S. as well as U.S.A. U.S. multinationals based here, and as well as Irish big Irish corporates, who between them they employ about half a million people. Yeah, and that's quite incredible because when you, when I think many people, when they would have heard 750 million, they would have said, Osher, look, that's only a few companies. But half a million people employed, that's really big. That's very big. Now, there's the, um, no, you may say the existing, the, the existing 12.5% rate will apply, will continue to apply for all those firms below 750 million mm. and but they they employ 1.8 million people so you may ask what the big deal is you know mm. in other words there's the the the, uh, the the rate the low rate still applies to the bulk of the Irish workforce here or the people employed by companies here right by the private workforce now it is a big deal because for two reasons first of all it's a handful of those particularly the, the US multinationals they pay the bulk of the 20 billion raised each year in uh, sorry 12 billion I should say the 12 billion in uh, corporation tax receipts received next year and that accounts for a huge 
by 20% of all the tax revenue raised by the Irish government. 20% paid. 20%, which, which basically pays for everything, you know, during the COVID crisis, pays for schools, pays for, for everything you can think of. And the... Um, and the other, so the other issue, it's, uh, the two ways of looking at this is, two ways of the, to, to frame this question is, what will it be affect on the 12 billion? Um, will that be reduced? And, and the other, the other, the other big concern is whether with a higher 15% tax rate, whether in particular those US multinationals will be dissuaded from in future uh, to turn down the tap of investment flows, FDI flows, foreign direct investment flows into Ireland. Yeah, and, and I was quite surprised at the upbeat assessment from many uh, commentators from the IDA, from Fergal O'Rourke, from PwC, from the American Irish Chamber of Commerce, and let's face it, most of these companies are American. They were all saying, this is a great day, certainty, and so on. What's your opinion on the impact on foreign direct investment? Now, many tax experts say that uh, some say actually there will be just looking at that those those two points of how to analyze this first of all looking at the corporation tax tax uh, uh, you know the, on the 12 billion uh, the many tax experts say that actually uh, there will be probably be uh, a net effect from this uh, the government uh, still expects about a, twi- a, two, uh, a two billion hit to those annual revenues mm. uh, but in that would be in sell- a number of years um, and the significantly though I think cutting through all this Seamus Coffey the UCC economist and he's the former chair of the Irish Fiscal Advisory uh, Council mm says it is a big deal. And he says, he just points out, simple point out, whose interest, why was this process driven to to change the way multinationals are taxed? The initiative through the uh, US and through the big economies and uh, through the OECD has been driven by the big countries. They've got their way uh, for proposals they wanted mm. because they're going and from which they will benefit. And he also points out the obvious is that there's no way of guaranteeing that this is in the end of the fur that 15% can still can now having cons- having basically this revolution in mm. the way multinationals are taxed around the world. There is no reason why in a few years' time this can't be visited again and 15% comes 17, 20%. It rises from there despite guarantees. Yeah, because um, we should remember that when it, when tax was uh, introduced back at the start of the uh, 18th or 19th century, I do believe it was introduced as a temporary measure, but it's still temporarily uh, with us. But uh, pointing out in, in a, a column you wrote in the Irish uh, Examiner, of course, and I haven't heard a huge amount uh, talked about it during the week, is there was a bombshell really in the G7 agreement a few months ago, where they said that uh, they're putting their weight behind allocating the carve-up of, of the taxable profits on the market countries. That's big for Ireland too. Yeah, the technical, uh, within the OECD, people go on about this technical thing about Pillar 1 talks and Pillar 2 talks. But basically, for Ireland, it is the the two things that come out of this is basically the higher tax rate, the 15%, as well as the fact that uh, so-called taxing rights go to now go to the bigger and more populous countries. Mm. And this is why 
the G7, the group of seven biggest economies in the world, they were driving this in the first place. They gave the heft to this, mm. and significantly, the uh, these talks are going nowhere until basically, well, they, 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 they got the heft after the election of Joe Biden this year, The uh, after his administration came in this year, these talks took off. Mm. So that is the that tells tells you everything about the potential threat to the Irish economic model, which yeah. has served us so well over so the years. Yeah, uh, well, I yeah. suppose that is a macroeconomic question, and it is that these changes are going to be a, a bit down the road. Concerning many business Absolutely. people listening this morning is the immediate uh, financial outlook. Uh, both businesses impacted by COVID and businesses that are still impacted by COVID. Uh, the ESRI and the Central Bank very interesting reports out during the week. You've been looking at them. What's the future looking like according to the uh, men in grey suits? <laughs> if I'm not being too I, harsh. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I quite like the um, there's two reports out. Uh, two reports, as you said, Central Bank John and the um, ESRI report. Now these are these make upbeat readings. Everybody who's been um, depressed on this uh, uh, this this grey morning, I would suggest they 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 look at synopsis of these two reports. Central Bank says there is a rapid bounce back already on the way and from the COVID economic uh, uh, crisis. And it adds that there is a a period of sustainable period of robust growth that describes it um, is, 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 is possible. Um, in other words, the worst fears of a year ago of uh, long-term unemployment, of what they, they call, you know, long-term scarring of the of the economy um, uh, ha- has been avoided. Um, now, the COVID effects are still there, right? So, the the as we know, there's been uh, about fifteen thousand fewer houses built, which will have obviously obvious implications in house prices and shortages and and homelessness. Um, the and it also points out the central bank points out the hospitality and tourism, uh, who have been, which have been the, the worst hit. Uh, parts of the economy will will be will take the longest to fully recover, but that is fairly very good news. The SRI has even better news mm. in terms of the jobs front. It's kind of counterfactual, though, isn't it? Because like uh, you would think, looking back when the economy was closed down, huge numbers of people uh, lost their jobs, whether temporarily or permanently, and so on. You would have expected Armageddon, but. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the ESRI summary tables and all the figures seem to be going in the right directions. Unemployment decreasing, you know, consumer expenditure, uh, you know, heading into positive territory. It was minus 10.4 in 2020 and it's heading up to 8.0. That's a 20 or an 18 point swing. And even more significantly, uh, the SRI sees the pre-pandemic level of unemployment, which was uh, February last, uh, where we know it's very hard to do, February last year, on the eve of the pandemic, that was just below 5%. It sees that level being reached again of below 5% as 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 
soon as, as, as soon as the end of next year, which nobody would have a year ago would have uh, bet on at all. Mm. Now, why, why is this going on? First of all, the uh, coming back to the multinationals, we talked about the pharma and the they've continued to basically they've had a they've, they've continued to export in a huge way during the pandemic. So those um, that. So, so, so that 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 has buoyed the economy. Those jobs didn't didn't disappear uh, that we were talking about earlier. The four hundred thousand jobs employed by foreign multinationals they did not they didn't take a dent, and the um, the uh, and also because a lot of the central bank and the SRI is looking at the domestic economy, and they're seeing a lot of those. That that's there was a lot of savings uh, made, and they see the release of that savings now with the restrictions lifted. They 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 assume that the domestic economy consumption will buoy the domestic economy now. Now there's a little footnote in this. Uh, side note, if you like, the, uh, the snapshot of the figures, uh, basically, of the people on the uh, pandemic unemployment uh, is this week is running around about 100,000, and the most majority of them of people are in hospitality and tourism, mm. and those areas which have been badly affected. Now there's uh, there's another third of a million, 330, uh, roughly 330,000 over 320 thousand people who are on the employment wage subsidy scheme mm. and that has those that level of third of a million we hear we hear less about the people on the employment wage subsidy scheme even though there's about three times more people than they, than are on the PUP scheme and that is a large amount of people uh, and there will be concerns about when eventually how many companies which are being kept going going by the EW, by the employment wage subsidy scheme and which uh, which is basically of which a third of a million employees benefit from what will happen when those peace route when those uh, fi- are finally withdrawn. Yeah, well, look, Eamon, lots to uh, pour over and there was lots we didn't get to chat about there, but very interesting. And uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. And you can read uh, Eamon's uh, very good analysis of the Irish economy in the Irish Examiner. Thanks very much, Eamon, and talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. At the heart of it all, KCLR. Casey Law, indeed, it's 22 and a half minutes after 9 o'clock. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business here on Casey Law, and I'm John Purcell. And joining me on the line is Simon O'Dwyer, uh, a man who's joined us many times on the programme uh, before to talk about marketing and so on. But this uh, time, we're kind of focusing on his own company because, Simon, your company, uh, 360, is uh, celebrating 21 years in business, and I want to talk to you about that. Happy birthday and congratulations. Uh, thanks for having me, John. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's uh, always good to chat indeed. Now, um, tell us about the journey, so to speak. 21 years ago, um, we were all 21 years younger. The Irish economy was different. Tell us about how 360 came about. Uh, 360 came about from, like, the genesis of, our, of the company was really, my wife Siobhan had uh, moved down from Dublin uh, just after we got married and uh, had started working as a like an independent marketing consultant, and, which was uh, very exotic twenty one years ago. 
There really was. But listen, 21 years ago, like we came out of college in, in 92, and 92 was not, were not great economic times. Uh, you either got the green card and, uh, and went to the States, or tried to pick up something somewhere, and there really wasn't that much work. Mm, and you weren't uh, surfing the net looking for opportunities either, really, were you? <laughs> you know what? It wasn't long after that before the whole uh, aircom surfing the internet thing came about. Yeah. I remember when we, when we started. I mean, we started with dial-up, you know. Uh, and did you have a fax as well? <laughs> <laughs> we had a telefax, one one where you punched, punched, in, the, it punched in the messages. Yeah. <laughs> And even even look at that like, over the twenty one years. Think about it going from the dial up, and then at one stage we had like ISDN lines. I mean, we were paying huge money for like very narrow broadband through into we were, we had satellite broadband for a while, which was like you know good ish, but massive lags, and then into broadband. And now look at it all with our fiber connection. Because you would have been into design as you are now, and and graphics, and trying to send that. I mean, when you started, you were probably posting it. Then you were kind of spending two hours sending a logo to someone, and then it's totally changed. Yeah, I mean, we, we used to spend a lot of time zipping in and out of the, uh, to, the, to the train station, uh, putting things on, uh, on trains uh, and sending them around uh, Ireland at the time, you know. Mm. But now, obviously, everything just gets like... Whoo-choo. Sent all over the world, oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. and, and you know, most new businesses it's sink or swim in the first couple of years. You got through them. Um, tell us about the de- development of the company over the years, then you know, when the, the communication improved, business changed, and everything. Yeah, I suppose like the big kind of moments for us, John, were really when we went from you know, we're like basically marketing is my background, not, not creative, but so we were working with like external creative partners, but like the biggest one, like one big moment for us were when, when we took creative in-house and we were able to build a creative team of, of, of designers. And that just gave us like so much more kind of freedom to, you know, ha- and more control around, you know, how we wanted to like work with our clients and the quality of work that we could produce for them. So that was like a really big moment because the whole 360 thing was always around you know, kind of left brain, right brain, being able to combine like the kind of the strategic thinking with the creative output. Mm. So by, by bringing the design in house. We and delivering results for clients as well, because that's very important too, because presumably it, your client base is practical enough that you, you're, you're not, you know, that you have to deliver results for them. Oh, 100%. And again, like if, if we look at changes over, over, over 20 years, the whole kind of like measurability and the accountability thing has changed. You know, marketing used to be a kind of a support function for like sales. So it used to be the marketing department used to kind of create the materials to enable the sales teams to go out and blah, blah, blah. But now like marketing itself has a whole range of kind of data outputs around it, driven mainly by kind of digital. Uh, that means that like it's, it's a much more kind of um, established function within businesses. Yeah, and seen as less of a luxury because it, it used to be known as the first thing that actually uh, was cut yeah. back on. Whereas, like the recent pandemic, people have started to market more and invest in in, in reaching out to their customers. Yeah, one hundred percent. Trying to get through this interview without mentioning the the c word. So, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's not talk about that and all of that. All, all that happened over the last eighteen months. Okay, then there's a challenge. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, no, I mean, really, like marketing is absolutely key, and and listen, it's 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 not even it's not even like a part of a business. It's it's uh, something that runs through business now. So taking marketing principles and then applying them to say talent acquisition, 
talent acquisition and building teams and getting your and, and recruiting employees mm. uh, and, and and retaining them uh, i mean so like marketing thinking now kind of permeates through organizations yeah and talk to us a bit about that transformation because it is a thing that you work with companies looking at your uh, website we are 360.com uh, one of the things you've case studies on digital transformations tell us how you work with a company in that respect well, you know, so digital transformation is really le- similar to what I was saying there about kind of like making something systemic within a business. It's like taking something and then seeing how can we use digital through the business to improve, uh, you know, kind of performance. So again, that can just be, at, you know, it can just be, obviously there's a communications aspect to that, but also how can you measure or how can you work and use digital within the business to kind of improve efficiencies and internal communications, etc. Mm. I think, you know, what's, what's, like, we've been very lucky, John, in terms of, like, the clients that we have and the areas that we work in. We work in, 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 in food ingredients is, is a major sector of ours, and that's just, like, where we are as a planet and where we are as an economy, like, food production and nutrition and how we feed and, and <clears throat> that in re- with regards to sustainability is, is like such an exciting area and then the other area that we do loads of work in is in international development <clears throat> so economic development in, in in africa and stuff like that and that again is just a very interesting dynamic area uh, to work in yeah now um uh, uh you can have a good old clear the throat there simon <laughs> um uh, but uh, another area we've talked about the development of of brands and so on and how the brand has become important it's important for people to protect their brand uh, as well and um uh, you you do stuff in that and again there's some interesting case studies on your website about that talk to us about being a brand guardian for someone well it's, it's a very interesting area. So if, if we start at the core fundamentals of brand, brand is about, you know, trying to find a, a unique position. So you want to, you want to be identifiable uh, and consistent in how you project yourself and how you engage with people. So the first part of kind of brand protection and brand guardianship is understanding how do you want to project out. So... That's the most important thing, and getting that right. And even in that, even if you don't have legal protection around, you know, the brand, just having that uniqueness and differential built in is good enough. Mm. And brand guardianship is really just about helping our clients make sure that they go, everything they do, every touch point, as we like to say, everything matters, everything says something. So every touch point is aligned around that brand. But if you don't, A, understand what your brand is about, and B, have a kind of a brand identity system around that, uh, then it's very difficult to do. Yeah, because I'm sure, because brands are strong, but they're so vulnerable to an employee on a on a Friday night with a bottle of wine and a Twitter account, you know, it's <laughs> it's thin ice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, here be dragons, as they say, you know, so yeah. that is dangerous. And, and, and that's a whole area of, you know, expertise in, in itself. And maybe we'll but talk again, about that again, but um, mm-hmm. we're talking about your 21 years. You sound enthusiastic about it. It's a, it's a rapidly uh, developing and growing area. How do you maintain the enthusiasm and energy uh, for that? Uh, that's absolutely critical. I, like, I look at startups and I'm envious, you know, I'm envious of, you know, that, like, 
initial drive and ambition that they have that's kind of built into them. Mm. Whereas at, at 21, in the slightly mature business, you need to kind of find that and go and like actually put energy into trying to find like what is the next direction, what is the new North Star. So you, you do need to kind of invest in making sure that there's always a, a new destination for you to go to mm. and, and not to get stale. Yeah, we were talking uh, earlier on with Damon Quinn about the outlook and the, you know, the the financial forecasts are pretty good for the economy, thankfully for the moment, although we always have to take those with a, a note of caution. But I get it that you're pretty excited about the future and uh, looking forward to what's next, silver anniversary, gold anniversary? <laughs> See, that's, I mean, like, in some ways, John, you know, I'd love to kind of go, okay, 21 years, let's put that all in a box and put that away and then start again just to get that like mm, energy back. The whole, it's kind of like celebrating your 60th birthday or something. It's just like, oh, it's not that, doesn't, doesn't excite me right now. Yeah. So, so, uh, but listen, as I said, we work in in some really exciting areas and we've got some really brilliant clients. Uh, I have a great team uh, in the business, you know, so very optimistic uh, about the future. And if we couple that in with what uh, Eamon was saying earlier about like what's expected to be like a, a period of super growth for the economy, I think, you know, uh, I've reason to be optimistic. Yeah, well, reasons to be cheerful. It's great. Well, congratulations to you, Simon, and all the team at 360. And I look forward to talking to you again before too long. Uh, great, John. Thanks for having me on. Best of luck. Pleasure. Thanks very much. That's Simon O'Dwyer, Managing Director of 360 in Kilkenny, celebrating 21 years in business. And you can check out their website, weare360.com. Back after the break, we'll be talking to Emer McCarthy, who's Head of Digital at Kilkenny Design. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. It's just exactly uh, 25 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Now, Kilkenny Design, that well-known name in retail and design, has been at the forefront of promoting the finest in Irish craft and design for over 50 years, having started, as the name suggests, in Kilkenny back in the 1960s. And the history of Kilkenny Design Workshop is a very interesting story. And we recently passed the milestone of 50 years since it was first formally established. Now, the chain of Kilkenny Shops, which had their roots in the Kilkenny Design Workshops, is now a nationwide and indeed global brand when it comes to Irish retail. And in Kilkenny, Kilkenny Design occupies a landmark location opposite Kilkenny Castle, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. During the week, I spoke with Emer McCarthy, who's Head of E-Commerce and Strategy at Kilkenny Design, to talk about uh, business during the pandemic and uh, the ever-changing retail landscape. And sorry, Simon, I'm going to use the uh, C word I started by asking Emer to tell us how COVID impacted the Kilkenny design business Sure, well we obviously represent retail, hospitality and tourism and like most businesses it was severely hit by COVID-19 forcing the closure of most of our bricks and mortar locations and thankfully though we were able to keep our e-commerce site open and the lights on in that shop. So for us it's been a a particularly difficult and challenging year but having said that it's opened up new channels for us and um, it definitely allowed us to kind of ramp up and pivot our business model and cross train our staff across e-commerce etc. So it has provided a bit of opportunity in that sense as well. John. 
Yeah, now uh, we've heard a lot about pivoting on this uh, programme and also about the embracing of the whole digital side and e-commerce and so on. You know, I know Kilkenny Design would have embraced that previously, but COVID has probably brought it to a whole new level. Tell us about that and tell us about your virtual reality store. Sure. So we were investing heavily in e-commerce from about 2019 and that obviously paid dividends in 2020. And we would have ramped up and pivoted quite quickly. We scaled up our warehousing facilities, our IT functions, etc., to support it. And what it meant for us, John, was we had over 300% growth in our online business last year. Thankfully, we're in double-digit growth again this year, which is really positive for us. And it's been really a very key channel for us, um, particularly over the last two years with all the challenges that COVID has brought about. Um, from a virtual reality point of view then, which is probably one of our most exciting, innovative projects um, that we've launched this year, John, this is a whole new experience that we're bringing to the brand. So it really allows us to give our customers a new way of connecting to the in-store retail experience anytime they want and really from anywhere they like. So what it really means is if you are, for example, based in the Iron Islands or if you're based over in the US, you can absolutely shop our brand on kilkennyshop.com. But this new feature of a virtual reality store allows you to shop our unique Irish offering and um, if we don't in locations where we don't have a physical presence and i mean that's that's a pretty exciting initiative and look we've approached it as well with um all customers in mind because i'm obviously very aware that vr is a concept that's um pretty i'd say standard in the gaming world but very new in the retail world yeah and, and basically for people who don't understand you have the capability of putting on a vr headset and more or less seeing your stores in 3d absolutely so what it means is that if you're, so if you've got somebody who's gaming in the house, you'll have access to VR headset. And if you put on the headset, it'll give you um, a 360 viewer immersive experience of the store. Now, the store itself, John, is based off our flagship store in Nassau Street. And um, we then have provided other routes to access this store for customers who don't have VR headsets. So if you've got a desktop, um, tablet or mobile, you can access it via those. All you do is you log on to kilkennyshop.com. You click into the virtual reality store link and straight away you're inside the store and you can shop all our brands and it's actually quite a fabulous experience and I think again from our customers and our customer focus groups that we've ran they were very excited about this new innovative way of shopping and again people have kind of described it as an experience where it's like the shop has been closed down for you to shop mm. so you're not dealing with crowds etc you're actually able to experience it and i'm sure coming up to christmas time that's also a very exciting concept for a lot of consumers as well yeah now pre-covid um it, you know the the market was as the market was you've experienced huge growth in online have you seen a, a change in your typical uh, customer say uh during that time because previously a lot of uh, the Kilkenny stores would be landmark tourist uh, destinations in the, in their different locations has has the growth in online meant maybe that you've got a bit more domestic shoppers sure and um, so actually we're quite our real estate is a bit mixed really we've some locations that are very domestic in our bricks and mortar and then some locations like um Kilkenny, um, design based in Kilkenny or even our Nassau Street store, etc., where we'll have more tourists. Um, so, 
from that perspective, um, we've seen a migration of some domestic customers onto our online site and then vice versa. We've also seen an increase, though, in, I think, different age groups being more comfortable with online, whereas historically, um, I think some age groups might have been a little bit more nervous of online. They've embraced that more, so that's been a new opportunity for us. Um, but again, what we really feel from our customers is that they want to be able to access our brand across a number of different channels. So the bricks and mortar is as important as the online and the online offers an opportunity then, particularly, John, in locations where we don't have a physical presence. Yeah, good to hear uh, that you're optimistic about the bricks and mortar because it's similar to, uh, you know, offices. Over the course of the pandemic, we've heard, you know, the positions put forward that the traditional office is dead. It's going to be a blended option or in actual fact, everybody's going back to the office. So you're actually quite optimistic about the bricks and mortar store. Absolutely. I think it has a very bright future ahead. It's about really driving in really good, interesting experiences and inspiring experiences for customers. And I think that, look, what's really important for a brand, I think, to focus on is having multiple channels to access their customers because customers nowadays even when we get past COVID, they'll want to shop the brand in different ways and at different times, etc. So that doesn't mean a channel gets replaced. That actually means you're adding more channels. If anything, like the VR store, for example, is a new channel or telesales is a new channel because customers want to experience it at different times in different ways. So I think the future is very bright. And for us, John, we've already started an investment program. So we've invested quite heavily in our NASA Street flagship store in Dublin and we've adapted... Um, or we've adopted some key changes in there and brought in some key trends like at leisure and wellness, etc. and really what the customers are looking for. So as long as the brand, I feel, is, uh, is providing what customers are looking for and providing them with those inspiring experiences, Bricks and Mortar has a bright future ahead also. That's good to hear. Um, we started 2021 uh, in lockdown uh, at you know, around the October 22nd of this year in a couple of weeks, you know, a lot of the more of the, the remaining COVID restrictions are going to be loosened considerably, if not gone. How's the rest of the year looking for you? Presumably Christmas looming large and how are supply chains holding up? Absolutely. So it's one of the challenges actually in the retail space at present is the in, is the supply chain and freight costs are increasing, etc. Thankfully, we've a lot of our supply in at this point. But again, we continue to manage that through Q4. And um, having said that, it's definitely an area that's under pressure. We're seeing a lot of headlines out there. I know a lot of different retailers are calling out the the um, you know asking people to buy sooner rather than later because product will be gone. So definitely, it's under pressure. Um, it's impacting the sector, it's driving higher costs. But I think the key thing really to call out, John, is for retail, Q4 is absolutely huge and it is so important for them to survive and thrive. So I would ask that, um, you know, we're the founders of the Champion Green Movement asking everyone to support local and drive our businesses forward within the, within the economy. So I feel like it's also a key point to call out to everybody to where they can try and support local this Q4 to keep business alive. So shop early, shop local and uh, shop uh, often. Absolutely. Great line. Thanks very much, Eamor. That's Eamor McCarthy, who's Head of E-Commerce and Strategy at Kilkenny Design. Thanks very much, Eamor. Thanks, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie 
Now, the Carlow Chamber Business Awards are emerging from COVID. Entries are in and the process set to culminate in a massive night on November the 11th next with the awards ceremony taking place simultaneously across three venues, Ballykeely House, the Lord Bagnall and the Woodford Dolman and Casey Lore will be at the heart of that action and really looking forward to a great night there. Leslie Codd, MD of Cod Mushrooms and Cod Property Holdings was awarded the prestigious Business of the Year accolade in 2019 the last year in which the awards ceremony was held. This year Leslie is a judge in the awards and he joins me on the phone now. Good morning Leslie before we talk about the awards talk to us a bit about your own business journey. You were 17 when you started Cod Mushrooms. Good morning John, how are you? Good thanks. Uh, yeah I... Uh that's that's right. I started at a very young age, and um, I, I, I just turned fifty there a few weeks ago. So congratulations! <laughs> it's all about fifty uh, this morning. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, Leslie, but I've just got a text in to Margaret and Leo Farrell uh, to wish them a happy fiftieth wedding anniversary. So there you go. There you go. Coincidence <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been in business 30, 33 years now, and um, yeah, it's 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 been it's been. It's it's been good to us. It's had its ups and downs, of course, but um, it's not unlike any other any any other any, any other business. It's uh, got highs, it's got highs and lows, but uh, no, it's been reasonably good. It's it's got its challenges now with staffing, of course. Um, it's quite difficult to fill positions and. Um, the exchange rate is against us because we supply the Irish market, so um, we've we've got a lot of inputs that come in from 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 Sterling land, and uh, that's obviously costing us a good bit extra because of the sway, the strengthening of Sterling. Yeah, and uh, amazingly, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised to learn that you supply sixty percent of mushrooms produced in Ireland, and a team of two hundred and sixty people doing that. Yeah, we supply sixty percent of all mushrooms consumed in Ireland comes from us, and uh, yeah, we're we're two sixty staff now. Um, it's 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 fairly steady all through the year. We don't really go through uh, peaks. It's 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 a little busier uh, in the colder weather because mushrooms would be a comfort food, so it would be used in stews and casseroles and fries. So when we're in salad time, it's probably not quite as busy. But in the warmer uh, months you've got more tourism in Ireland. <coughs> Excuse me. So that. <coughs> so. <coughs> You're okay there, Leslie. So, uh, having sorry, a bit of a. Just, uh, while a you. Water here. Yeah, while you clear your uh, throat, just to expand on that uh, dedication to Margaret and Leo Farrell, who are having uh, a 50th wedding anniversary, and that came in from Chloe and Sean. Um, Leslie, uh, you were saying about the tourists and their mushroom yeah, eating. Yeah, tourism. The tourism period would be much stronger because we do quite a bit of food service, so that would peak out probably from May to the end of August. And then when you get back to September, you've got kids back in school. You've got more of a routine on on, on, uh, warm food and uh, regular dinners that you wouldn't probably see as much during the summer months. Yeah, now you said, uh, as you said, um, you started that business when you were 17. Um, What brought you through and what led to the growth? Describe what, what... tips on entrepreneurship you'd give to a 17 year old with a big idea now um go to college <laughs> something i didn't do and i regret not doing really that's but, interesting um, 
Yeah, I've got a daughter that just started college only a few weeks ago and uh, there wasn't a hope in hell that she was ever going to not do college. So um, I suppose that's, uh, that's, that's one thing that's a must, I feel, these days. Although I have to say now, a lot of kids are not suited totally to college and there's a great entre- uh, there's, um, uh, there's great options there for kids to, to start in and work in companies under an apprenticeship and uh, you know it's it's uh, the the um, college scene is not is not ideal for everybody yeah so, so I suppose it's it's, it's training and education and upskilling is at the heart of it really yeah a blend between um, on the floor and in college maybe a day or two a week uh, would 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 be ideal for a lot of kids but um, yeah, I suppose when when I started out, it was actually born out of a project in agricultural science for the Leaving Certificate. So wow. I did it on mushrooms. So I decided to give it a go when I left school, and um, the rest is history. Thankfully, we're still here. Yeah, well, look, um, uh, Leslie Cod, managing director of Cod Mushrooms, who supplies sixty percent of mushrooms consumed in Ireland, with me on the line. I'm going to continue talking to Leslie after the break uh, about his involvement involvement with the Carlo Business Awards this year and indeed uh, how his company was recognised in the last awards in 2019. Don't go away. Irish Music Month on KCLR playing Irish music for you. Supported by IBI, Hot Press and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. Indeed, uh, KCLR with you until 10 o'clock is John Purcell. That's me on the bottom line, the programme for and about business. We're talking to Leslie Codd, who's Managing Director of Cod Mushrooms. And also a business you uh, developed after kind of getting Cod Mushrooms set up, Leslie, was Cod Property Holdings. Um, property has had ups and downs over the years, uh, always in the news these days. How's that uh, business going for you? Yeah, it's going very well, John. Thanks. Uh, it's it's something we started there about six years ago. Um, we we bought some some um, unfinished estates uh, and developments and some development land that maybe had lapsed planning uh, off Nama, and we started developing there over the last three or four years after going through the planning processes with the sites and uh, yeah it's been it's been lucky timing I suppose to a point there's a huge demand for housing out there yeah huge we're, demand we're, uh, and, a, and a difficulty in meeting demand what are the key factors behind that from your view as somebody who presumably wants to uh, build as many houses and do as much activity as you can yeah we're finding it very difficult to get houses built quick enough the the demand is outstripping um, how fast we can we can produce houses so we develop so we've got two builders uh, two builder crews on two different sites at the moment and uh, we we could we could probably sell a lot more houses if we could get them built quick enough um, there's also issues with supply chain of materials there's also issue with um, the building crews recruiting staff to be able to uh, upscale um, and build quicker there's problems with material prices, of course, as we all know, uh, and that's leading to, obviously, more expense on building houses and hence having to ask more for the finished product. The Irish government, uh, you know, correctly, I, I'm sure, uh, they, they, they opt to the regulations on the quality of build of new houses uh, probably since, last, uh, since the last... Um, there was a lot of poorly built houses mm. and um, the cost 
of those regulations are, are very high and we're, we're, we're producing a great house. Every builder is, every developer is because that's the regulations, but it's very costly to do that. Mm. And while some countries might look at Ireland and say that we've got a very expensive housing market over here and very expensive build costs, it does relate a lot to um, costs in construction. Mm. So I can't see that turning back. You know, people are saying that, you know, that there is going to be a downturn on house prices. Um, I can't see that. It's just the cost of construction is so high and that the demand is so strong. Yeah, now finally, uh, Leslie, we could talk property and and indeed your uh, mushroom business for so much more because such a great success story. But the Carlo Business Awards, you won the top gong in 2019 and you're a judge this year. What did the awards mean to you? Yeah, it's it's a great accolade. It's great to be recognised by businesses in the area. And um, yeah, uh, we, we're generally business to business, so I suppose we don't get um, the 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 um, we don't market directly to individuals that might know us or know the award locally. But it's certainly great to have on our website and have um, have people talking about us that uh, it's, 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 it's a huge accolade I have to say and we're very proud of it and you're judged uh, yeah, this I'm, year I'm judging this year we just went through the judging process last week actually so it was really interesting to see people's stories uh, to, to hear them talk about it passionately to um, understand that they've got the same issues that I do and every other business does just at a different level uh, and we we had presentations by uh, maybe about 12 companies online presentations and then we had written presentations by another number so there's a number of different awards mm. um, and we haven't completed it yet but it's nearly finished but it's in for a very exciting night now in November and we're all hugely looking forward to it yeah, well, thanks for that, Leslie, and a pleasure talking to you, and best of luck. And, of course, your own business has won lots of different awards, the uh, Deloitte Best Managed Company Awards in 2021, uh, and also Gold Standard for Sustainability. So well done, and thanks for joining us this morning on The Bottom Line. You're very welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Leslie Codd bringing our programme to a close, because that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Don't forget that tomorrow, the 10th of October, is Kilkenny Day, and Casey Law Classics will Car- with Carol Dooley will be live from the parade from 11 to 2, so join Carol for all the classic hits and celebrate Kilkenny Day with us. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, email thebottomline at caseylaura96fm.com, and you can listen back to this or any episode on any of our podcast channels. Thank you. Uh, to all our guests this week Simon O'Dwyer Eamon Quinn Emer McCarthy and Leslie Codd thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks most of all to you for listening we'll be back next Saturday with more stories for and about business the Saturday show is up after the news with Davy Cashin in this week for Edward Hayden but until we meet again have yourself a good week end and a good week whatever happens keep calm and carry on keep safe and keep the faith talk to you next week The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie